Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Melisandre for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster. I write the ongoing comic Kadoja and the upcoming comic Three Protectors, launching in 2022. Hell yeah. So today I am drinking something. Uh, my buddy Ralph, my best friend, he just gave me stuff. Uh, he has a bad habit bad slash good habit of not being able to control himself so like if he gets me a christmas present early he gives it to me like almost right away so we're in october and uh he came over and he's like hey here's your christmas present and i was like dude it's like two months away yeah exactly exactly and uh he's just like oh whatever just just take it right and it was a pretty cool so there's a couple of things uh the the main present was a japanese laker shirt so it oh. said Lakers uh, in Japanese, and it had like a, a saying, it does, you can't teach heart or something like that on the back. It was very cool. I like that kind of stuff. And along with that, he gave me three beers. The thing that I'm drinking today is one of the three beers he got me. All three were from the 450 North Brewing Company, and I believe this is called Viking Horde. And it is a slushy XXL smoothie-style sour ale, banana, lime, mango, pineapple, and coconut. So uh, this is going to be an interesting one. Did you try it yet? I have not. I'm going to pop the top right now. Yeah, those things aren't my jam. I, I like it. I like it. I like the smell. The smell was really good. I always, I don't know if you guys out there, if you guys do this, it's something I always do. I have a habit of smelling my beers. Um, honestly, I smell everything. I smell my food before I eat it. I smell everything. Nearby yeah, just, nearby uh, dog walking, yeah. their, their right, asses. Right, right. Like, yeah, I yeah. get it. I get it. Um, we so, all do. Don't we all? We don't all. we all? Yeah. And uh, yeah, this is actually pretty good. It's not overly sour. When, I don't like sour things. I'm not a sour guy. But the the slushy element of this is actually taking over. So it calms that sourness down, which I like. Okay. Rock and roll. So in the, in the spirit, well, I don't know what it's called. But it's a dry hopped Imperial Pilsner, which is sort of crazy. Um, okay. So yeah, man, that's, that's kind of cool. It's a shame I don't know what the hell. I think that might be the damn name. But anyway, um, it's it's interesting because it's it's a it's a pilsner, but it's ten percent alcohol, which oh, is oh shit, yeah, kind of funky, kind of funky. Yeah, so. okay. Let me let, while I'm looking for this, what you tackle the first thing that you did this week while I look for my alcohol percentage on this bad boy. You know, I had a crazy week, so I didn't have as much time to kind of prepare my thoughts as I usually do for for our podcasts. But uh, the first thing I did was I finished the animal script, which felt really good. So, uh, again, when I had last left off, I think I had gotten through chapter 7 of 10. And so I finished up chapters 8, 9, and 10. Um, Those are obviously the ones I I think I had mentioned before, where if you feel like your third act has a problem, um, then the problem is before the third act. And so, again, talking, you know, refreshing, um, my method of doing that is I just start from the beginning and I kind of work my way up through the script i see what things i need to change and then i change them and then that sets it up for an ending so um that as of yesterday i sent that script off script off to mike for him to take a look at and we'll see what happens i mean i have you know i have my own concerns over it i I don't know I, i maybe maybe people out there that write i don't know if this is a unique thing to horror or if it's a thing that might affect other genres but i'll say the horror one right a concern i have with some of the horror i do is is it horror enough so there's this there's this concept of uh, there's this word that uh that's used a lot in in books called quiet 
right? So if you write quiet horror, then it's sort of a much more subtle, slow burn, not, yeah, you know, kind of horror, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And I believe it's interesting because I, I was listening to a couple other podcasts about books and they were talking about someone's fiction being quiet. Right. And so when you describe fiction being quiet, you're sort of saying that it doesn't have these big jump. Wow. Plot moments, you know, and then and then the alligator attacked everyone with lawnmowers, you know, like you don't have <laughs> shit like that going on in quiet fiction. It's a staple of any great fiction, I should mention, but, you know, not quiet fiction. So would Okay, so is that equivalent to like jump scares or or like maybe having having the viewer or the reader in this case like reflect on what's happening and that's what's building up the horror is the potential the potential of what will happen is that describe quiet? Yeah, I mean the the it, it's tough for me to think of this on the fly, but I would describe I would actually describe a lot of H.P. Lovecraft's work as as quieter in terms of nature, right? Because okay. a lot of the action happens off screen. There's dialogue, you know, and and you, what you get is you get whispers of shit happening, but you don't necessarily see that shit happening. You know, like if if, if I'm just kind of working off the head here, I would say that, you know, in an H.P. Lovecraft story, you you you're a you're a claims investigator who finds out that the well of a nearby farm has been poisoned and over the years the crops fail and and animals die right and and then at the end of the story spoiler alert it's a hundred years old so it's not really a spoiler um the thing rises up out of the well and it turns out it's kind of an alien entity i'm describing one of my favorite lovecraft stories called the color out of space right if that was like a, a, a straight ahead horror novel, then you would probably be on the farm when the meteor comes down and then some crazy shit would happen. You know what I mean? It would it would just be an entirely different kind of story. And then mm-hmm. maybe when it rose at the end, it would be quite dramatic and there'd probably also be more dramatic things along the way as opposed to this absolute slow burn where weird shit just starts to happen. I get so, it. Okay. It makes sense. It's like... The whole story builds up to this one moment mm-hmm. as opposed to the whole story having a bunch of moments all throughout. Right, right. And I mean, you always want to have moments. You know, you never want to lose readers, whether it's in a comic or in a book. And so, right. but but with something like Animals, you know, the thing that, that I'm, because I'm just in it, I'm deep in it, I don't know how quiet or non-quiet it is. You know what I mean? Like, I think, I think it's cool and... Um, you know, I, I, you've heard the, the listeners, you the listeners have heard me say this before, that animals, you know, with, with, with stories, I will sometimes think it needs something, add that something, and then decide, no, that's, that actually doesn't work for the story. The story is this, you know, so what I'll be really interested to hear back is, is Mike, you know, is from Mike. Will, will Mike say you know, this isn't scary enough or whatever? I mean, it, it's, it's meant to be a certain kind of scary, but it's meant to be a different kind of scary too, I suppose. It's not. It's not la all the way in your face, you know. Like um, I'm going to give an example of a comic that I kind of have, you know. Look, we don't talk about comics we dislike here, but we talk about comics that are either mixed bags or that we love, right? And so, a comic that I thought was a mixed bag was this recent comic called Proctor Valley Road, which, I mean, in issue one, 
the kitchen sink of horror gets kind of dumped on you, you know? Um, So a whole lot of shit happens and you're like, wow, that was a lot of shit, (laughs) you know, like that kind of stuff. Right. So um, again, different things work for different stories, but I know as someone who writes horror, I was like, whoa, 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 slow down there, brother. You know, like a lot of stuff going on now it's presented in kind of like a Scooby-Doo type art style. So it, it kind of tamps down the actual horror there. You could put it in the hands of a of a far creepier artist, and it would be a far creepier book, right? But it doesn't change the fact that lots of shit goes on. So for me, with animals, um, what I'm interested to see is kind of where Mike comes back on the on the you know horrorometer, for lack of a better way to put it. I feel good about it. I tried to stir in more horror. I, I thought of these plot lines that kind of make it a bigger, more dynamic, more blah kind of ending. And you know what? I hated it. I hated it. So I, I'm going to go with this. This is the comic that I feel it was meant to be. And hopefully the the notes come back with minor changes as opposed to major changes. But we'll see. Okay, so I guess I'll leave my note uh, to myself, which was uh, Mamba Mentality. Mamba Mentality? M- more. <laughs> how much how much more i was i was hoping you were, yeah more. so yeah yeah exactly <laughs> D- dominate dominate waffles dominate how much more do you want me to dominate <laughs> how much more do you want me to dominate more domination <laughs> how many more records can my records break more records <laughs> so anyway if you don't know what we're referring to we're referring to the very funny Kobe system commercials from about 10 yes. years ago, which are amazing where Kobe Bryant plays a, uh, like a motivational speaker a la Tony Robbins. In fact, it's an inside mm-hmm. joke because Tony Robbins is in one of the skits, but, but very funny stuff. So we'll see. Yeah. I'm not sure, you know, more horror can be a slop fest, you know, and, and obviously that's some people's definition of horror. It's not mine, you know? So uh, anyway, it'll be, you know, I think about horror, and, and what is scary and what isn't a lot, you know, like mm-hmm. here, here's something that we all agree is scary. The Shining, right? And, and I mentioned The Shining only because a lot of people can think of it right now and use it as like a touchstone, you know, like I could mention other horror books, but like if you don't know what it is, then what's the point of the reference, you know? So The Shining is is acknowledged as a pretty scary fucking movie and a pretty scary goddamn book, you know? But when you really read through the book, you realize that, like, you know, the horror's there, but it's not it's not always there, you know? Like, there's other stuff right. that happens. There's character development. There's scenes that, you know, have an element of tension, but that doesn't mean they have an element of horror, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's I think about it far too often. But, I would uh, say The Shining has a lot of moments of tension which creates the horror. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like there's so much tension that that is the horror in itself. The anxiety that those situations, those scenarios bring, yeah, is it what creates it. Yeah, and then, and then yeah. of course the ending. You know, yeah, all that stuff, of so. course, of course, and 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 the great moments in between. So again, we'll see. You know, again, right. I I feel I feel very good about animals. I've walked a long kind of circuitous path to it. I've tried some stuff and thrown it out. I feel good about it, but. You know, until you get those notes back, and I've already gotten one round of notes back from Mike, and he in general liked it. But now we're now we're talking about what's pretty close to the final script. So uh, I'm, cool. you know, I'm hoping, I'm hopeful, but I also feel pretty good. But I also have this, you know, stupid left shoulder Keith in the back of my head, like you kind of made it scarier, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm like, <laughs> shut up, left shoulder Keith. If it, if it's scarier, then it loses the thing that makes it it. You know. So anyway, be interesting right. to see uh, who wins, Keith or left shoulder Keith. Interesting. Okay. 
Well, that's all cool, man. Yeah, I, I, you you finished up the first draft, and and that's good. That's yeah. definitely a good thing. Finish finish projects. Speaking of finishing projects, all the Kickstarter stuff is done. I actually got hit up by uh, one of my buddies who backs my projects. He got his books in, and he goes, "Hey, uh, I ordered." It was after the fact. That's I. That's why I didn't get it. What's cool about the Kickstarter add-ons? It tax it right onto their their uh, um their reward tier so it's just like oh they added this 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 and this it's easier to keep track of as to before the add-on system i would just have to write stuff down in the notes section of each person's um you know you know a reward tier but so apparently he he added stuff on after the fact and i was like okay yeah just yeah when when this stuff i'll remember but i didn't remember of course because it was months ago and so he got his package. He goes, hey, I'm missing these things. So I had to resend something. But now everything is done. Everything is good, which means I'm gearing up for the next Kickstarter, which I'm going to. I don't think I'm going to make it for November 1st. I just don't. With finishing up Drawtober, um, there just isn't enough time. Unfortunately, I lost all of my momentum, like all my uh, extra days I had been working ahead. That's all done. That's all gone. I finished uh Today's, I finished it last night. So essentially, I'm working on the day's image the night before because I want to make sure that I'm going to be done uh, because my days are so swamped that there is little to no time to actually work on the image that day. So the time that I do get is at night. And I, I guess technically I could work on it that day and then release it at 11:30 at night or something but honestly sometimes i'm working until one in the morning yeah. on the previous days so technically i am working on it the day of I, it's just from 12 o'clock to whenever i finish right yeah so um yeah any of that 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 uh time i had ahead that's done and the last two pages so by the time this episode airs i think we're well into november right yes we are so, november 8th is when this is airing oh okay so just so you guys know the last two pages there's a lot going on um not an overabundance of things but definitely definitely a little more than the last couple of pages so uh it's gonna be a process i'm gonna finish though so i was just talking to my girlfriend about a little dilemma i have so this this issue is essentially would be 14 issue 14 um the kickstarter i'm about to do is for issue 10 Last year's Drawtober was 11. As, as documented on this podcast, the numbering is a clusterfuck. Yeah. Right? So I, I moved ahead one one number because issue 9 is a two-part story. Yeah. So I needed to finish 10. So last year's Drawtober. So ipso facto, that's number 11. And then there's a two-part story after 11, 11, 12. And then so this Drawtober would be 14. So I actually have to have a conversation with Ed to see if I'm actually able to release this issue as, as 12 and we can reverse engineer somehow, like the events of this issue, how it will affect the, those issues. If it's possible, if it's even possible, if it's not, here's the major dilemma. I have to draw two more issues before I can release this one because I'm tired of doing the out of order thing. I just don't want to do, I I feel like freaking George Lucas and star Wars. I just want to release shit in order. Please stop going back and forth. It's confusing as fuck. Yes. So, so, uh, I'm drink up star Wars. And there, yeah, we did it. There goes your star Wars reference. (laughs) We did it. (laughs) And, uh, 15 minutes in. So, so yeah, so that's that's something I'm dealing with right now. It's like as soon as I finish this up, so I'll have to give Ed a call 
and just talk it through because that's going to be way easier than trying to text back and forth. And then that way we can work out the effects and the consequences of this issue and how it affects, you know, this character and that character uh, moving forward. Yeah. I guess so. I, I have a couple I, that that raises some interesting things. I think the most interesting thing, number one, is that uh, Ed Ed is a listener of the podcast. So if Scott hasn't had a conversation with you yet, Ed, then you know hit hit your boy up because <laughs> you guys got some shit to talk about. Um, ho- hopefully, you've had that conversation by the time this comes out. But uh, yeah, I mean I, that you know you're you're in a quandary there, and and on one hand, this. Um, you know, I was just talking with somebody else about how I'm kind of on a time delay of you with my Novembers versus your Octobers. You know, so for you, you did, as a quick review, you did a regular old Drawtobers for a while, right? And then last year, you're like, hey, you know what would be cool is to have a Drawtober be sequential and have it tell a story you know, a la web comics. And then at the end, you basically have an entire story and then I can release that as a comic, right? And that's the Kickstarter that we've been talking about a lot because the final books just went out. Um, and now you're at the point where, yeah, I think I want to do this every October, you know? But but what you didn't do this year when you were planning your little supply chain of issues, I guess, is you didn't account for the fact that you'd knock out an entire issue every October, so as you continue to do this, you're doing the work now, but now what's going to happen over the next year is you're going to evolve your actual workflow to probably incorporate a standalone issue every October, you know? So yeah. that'll be interesting to watch that evolve over time because this year it's a bit of a mess, but you've already acknowledged like, I don't want it to be a mess because, you know, you know, the order of release goes 9, 11, 10, 14, 12, 13. Like what, what the <laughs> fuck is that? You know, like that's, that's insane. It, you know, it's a new hope. It's yeah. a new hope. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I, I think, but, but it's interesting to see the, you know, you bake that into what you do. Right. And, and on, on my note, obviously, you know, we're recording this in late October. So I have not begun my, my final rush of finishing my fifth draft of my novel in November, although I am working hard and that's going to be my second thing. But uh, what'll be fun is next year, whatever thing I want to do in November is just going to be the thing, you know, um, who knows? You know, I could imagine, I could envision myself using November to be write a novella in, in the month of November, right? Because if, if you stick by the two pages a day rule, then that tells you that, you know, November has 30 days and that would be a 60 page book, right? Which is not a book. It's not a novel. It's a novella or it's a long, long, short story. So um, if you want to up that to maybe three pages a day, you're at 90 pages, still on the shorter side, right? But I think that would be a fun thing to do because right now, you know, Keith, Keith, the writer is is thinking I got to work on this first novel. This first novel is everything. Well, by this time next year, hopefully, I've already shopped it to agents, and however that's happened, it's happened. I'm going to be working on my new shit no matter what, though, because this novel is going to be done in its final draft by June, right? Barring barring some other big big old uh, uh, notes that I get back that that just shatters my reality, like the ones back in March and April did, right? So it, it'll be interesting because I'm on a time delay behind you. You know, you are now evolving what your Octobers are and what they mean. And now you're going like next level and how they fit in your continuity, which is going to be yeah. really interesting to do, you know. Yeah, next year is actually going to be a little bit easier because 
Okay, so the character that I was developing, and I was going to do the draw Toberon, but I was like, no, that's this would become the debut of this character. It would kind of screw that up. You kind of want to give it a little more breathing room when you're when you're introducing the character. So by next year, that will have already happened. I've already introduced this character to the fans that would have met him. So next year's will be for that character so then that way it's not affecting the second shift continuity it's like it's a character in the world but he has his own stories and he's on his own release schedule so yeah. so that won't be a problem another thing that'll be uh potentially in the future is something i've been thinking about is uh wanders and melisanda it is a um action adventure manga style comic book that i'm doing uh, my own version, obviously, right? I'm not, I'm not like a trained manga artist or anything. My, my version of whatever American manga that I'm doing, and uh, so it would be cool to do a, a, you know, a one month fight scene, you know, for that book, and it would work in the continuity of that book because they are on adventures. There could be an issue where it leaves off with the main character Lee facing off with someone, and then. Boom, there you go. You got one month to draw a fight scene, and it's going to be a badass fight scene, mm -hmm. and uh, there you go. So I have a lot of avenues because since I have different characters, different books, I don't have to stick with second shift. It's yeah. like, okay, well, I can go this route or that route. Totally. So that's going to be helpful. Yeah. Uh, another thing, this can does not have the alcohol content on it at all. I've, <laughs> I checked for 20 minutes or 15 minutes and uh, could not find it. This does not exist. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Hilarious. If it's like surprise, bitch, it's 42%. <laughs> <You know? laughs> They're like, this is actually just a slushy. There's no alcohol. In it. That's why you couldn't it's zero. find it. It's zero. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I got it at Woolworths, you know, like it's, it's not even, not even alcohol. And Woolworths hasn't been in business for like 25 years, which tells you what, how maybe that would make whatever non-alcoholic thing ferment into alcohol. I don't know. Chemistry. <laughs> Oh, I wanted to. I wanted to go on a tangent here. Do you? How much do you like manga as an art style? Because I have mixed opinions on it. You know, it's a, it, it's. I think it's just like American comics. It's just like anything else. Like you can like one American artist doesn't mean you like all the American artists. So like if you have like a Tomo, for instance, like I'm huge on him. But there's other kind of the the chibi big eye style. It's not always my favorite, but there are artists that can obviously knock it out of the park right you know you look look at ghost in the shell like that shit's amazing yeah but it, it doesn't mean that i like every artist out there that does it so it's yeah. it's a mixed bag okay yeah i mean i'm gonna do a little experiment here i okay. i'm holding up a book to scott right now this is a book that i have purchased oh that i have heard is good that i have not read yet it's in my okay. it's in my to read like cubby hole and I have multiple to read cubby holes because it's far easier to buy things than it is to read them sometimes, right? Yeah. Many times, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, uh, you're going to the comic store. You're buying sometimes 10 to 20 books uh, each time you go. So it's hard to keep up yeah. keep up that reading schedule. Yeah. So as I'm flipping through this book, it it's actually has, you know, like you mentioned Akira. If I remember right from, from my limited time in, in reading a little bit of Akira, I would love to read that someday when I like have the money or have the access to do it it's pretty detailed right it's it's kind of like the manga version of jeff darrow right it's yeah it's got details to it and i would say love sickness is along those lines it's a bit you know it's got some cool spooky shit to it it's it's not overly minimal or anything but um and maybe i'm just using certain examples to kind kind of like give myself an archetype about it but it feels like there are times where where the the art is almost overly simplistic 
and it feels like it gets knocked out quickly. And I know, I know manga artists get worked like dogs and they just have to, you know, create a punishing amount of pages every day. And, and you can see a, a yeah. book every week. It's a weekly thing over there, not a monthly. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can see it in some of the art, but I think that's, that's sort of what bums me out sometimes there. Are, I was just thinking about this this afternoon as I was driving home. There are, there are two things about manga that bother me, you know, or, or at least kind of get in my craw, right? And and I, I love manga as an art form, obviously. It's just comics. That's all it is. It's just a name for comics in another country. Um, but it, it obviously has its own things. Number one is that there are times where the art gets overly simplistic, right? Which bums me out a little bit. And that's not something, I mean, I guess you could argue that American comics did that you know, at some point, I mean, peak Rob Leefield haters right now are probably like, but Rob Leefield, you know, right? Like, I get it. There are times where, you know, speed lines stood in for backgrounds and things like that. But, you know, like, same thing. You have to crank out comics. But, you know, it's not quite as detailed as you want it to be. It's It becomes, you feel like it becomes more of a commodity than a form of art, right? Which is where I start to kind of draw the line because that's not how I define art, you know, um, as, as kind of commodity, but you know, that's my definition. Um, and the other thing that bums me out about manga is if you get something successful, then guess what? It's never going to end. You're just going to keep on unfolding storylines around it. You know, that's why my favorite manga by far is death note because it has a, it has a goddamn end. And, you know, you can make the argument like one of my favorite animes is cowboy bebop because, it starts and it ends. That's it. Like what, twenty three episodes, and then it's it's over and out. You know, which is pretty great. And then the person went on to do some other stuff, but they never really came back to Bebop unless they did in a movie. I know somebody. Yeah, please don't send me an email about that. You can send us. <laughs> you can send us emails at makingcomicspodcast at gmail dot com. Just please, please don't correct me on Cowboy Bebop <laughs> if I'm wrong. <laughs> um, but but you know that's what I like about Death Note and Death Note even made that mistake as we've talked about before or maybe on or off uh, you know the, the I believe podcast. we did I believe we yeah, talked about that it on that it, yeah. it has a real ending and then it has a, a money ending right like mm-hmm. the real ending is the first ending that happens in the context of Death Note and then there's the second ending quote unquote the final ending the real ending whatever you want to say which was really suitcases of cash getting thrown at the creator like you do have more Death Note in you right and he's like of course I do because I would too <laughs> you know like Kadoji volume four is meant to be a kind of final point but if someone hands me a briefcase of cash there will be more kadoja (laughs) you know so (laughs) so anyway and i I know i know i know that was a bit of a tangent but yeah i don't know what are your thoughts on that what are your thoughts on that though for for manga Um, do you you share those uh, thoughts or do you disagree no i definitely get what you're saying and uh yeah so it is a couple of things one it is the time schedule they are like you said they're keeping crazy hours sometimes they have assistance sometimes they don't depending on how popular that manga is um i'll tell you something that i really like about manga is the breathing room that that weekly schedule unfortunately doesn't allow the artist but it allows the reader what happens is The artist goes, I have one week to crank out this part of the story, so I can't cover a lot of ground. They're just going to be having a conversation in the middle of a fight scene. So that fight scene gets extended, and it it makes it more dramatic, because you got to spend more time in that air, in that space, in that time. And that's something that American comics is not afforded. It's like... Okay, you got a month, but you have to have a completed story. This is either a one-shot, a two-part, five-part story, depending. More than likely, it's a five five to six-part because American comics love to collect the trade. So 
it's uh yeah the manga is different in the sense that since they do need the weekly they don't have time to jump to a lot of scenes because mm. they have to get shit done. So uh, that's something that's interesting about it. But I, I do agree that sometimes I don't like it when the art gets too sparse. And uh, yeah, so that's that's unfortunately part of the side effect of a weekly book. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Sorry, um, I, know, I will. I know oh, I went, no, I went on tangent no, after tangent there. So no, that's, no, that's a good one. Uh, it's it's funny because I was just listening to a podcast. Uh, it was a conversation with Tom King, and. He was talking uh, about Frank Miller. I guess he was doing an interview for some documentary on Frank Miller. And then he he had said something along the lines of, at the end of the day, uh, there's deadlines and we have to hit them. So, you know, it's it's like, essentially, it's a job. Mm-hmm. So And uh, apparently Frank Miller was like on the other side of the, the wall or something. And he pops up and goes, yes, no one acknowledges that. It's not all, it's not all fucking art deco. It's not all, you know, we're not, it's not Michelangelo. It's not Edgar Allan Poe or anything like that. Some, sometimes you just got to get the book out. And so, so that's something that, uh, uh, it goes both ways because then you do have the Jeff Darrow, but then you do have these other artists or writers that it's like, yeah, this is the time frame we have. And then that's all we got. Yes. And, and. I, I understand that, right? But I would do a little dot, dot, dot at the end of Tom King and Frank Miller's thing. It's a job, dot, 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 for you. Because it's your full-time job. It's how you get paid, and it's the only way you get paid. Right. We're But we're in the indie comics pool, right? And we generally have a primary source of income that is not making comics, right? So this is one of those, you know, there's this great line from mad skills um do you know who mad skills is uh mm-hmm. so he's you know obscure east coast hip-hop artist from the 90s uh did okay. a couple songs that were like kind of hits ended up making some fair money ghostwriting lyrics for other people uh you know you can never say who you ghostwrite for but like i think puffy was one of them and some others anyway he had a line real mcs have day jobs and that's sort of how I feel about like indie comics in a way. You know what I mean? And and the the intelligence behind that line is obviously that if if you have a primary source of income, then that means that your art can be pure art. It doesn't have to be a commodity, right? It can be pure art. It gives you the freedom to have your art be an artistic endeavor as opposed to a deadline you have to meet, if that makes sense. Mm. And obviously there's a fine line because Mm -hmm. some of the, you know, (laughs) you and I are overpaying for comics on eBay that were made on a deadline, you know, or at least we were. We we both, we both like basically punched ourselves in the face and uh, deleted eBay off of our phones, you know, but, you know, uh, so obviously a lot of the comics that we grew up loving were all made on deadline. But I also think it's fair to note that we're sailing in indie waters here where you don't necessarily have to hold to any deadlines other than your own self-imposed ones. So anyway, just yeah, I I think I think their line is more so when the ending of a story gets criticized or something along those lines or this particular panel looks rushed, you know, art looks rushed. It's just like there's this criticism that comes along with being Frank Miller or, you know, Tom King, whatever the case is, it's like, well, that didn't make any sense and this and that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they're on the deadline, but it doesn't, but there's still fucking Frank Miller and Tom King, you know, Frank Miller's, Frank Miller, you know, it's like, seems like 
beyond approach reproach you know it's yeah just like, i mean you but you know how so, it is too when you're when you're great right when you're great yeah then what you're always going to be held to is the standard of your great work you know like i remember reading reviews for uh slayer's most recent album the final one before they uh, broke up called repentless right and people were just bagging on repentless like it sounds half-assed it sounds this it sounds that and it's like look thing number one slayer made their best record in 1986 you know it is it whatever year it was it was 2017 you know it is 30 years later they are 30 years older they have made you know 10 albums since shouldn't we just be thankful that they're that they're making anything as opposed to like holding this album that they're making in their 50s, you know, to an album that they made in like their hungry 20 something prime that proved to be a metal classic. Like that's not fair. And I think right. just like it's not fair to hold Frank Miller to Dark Knight Returns on everything he does, you know, and look, right. Frank Miller has multiple great things. You know, he has his Daredevil run. I think he wrote that right uh, with with mm-hmm. with Sinkevich. Yep. Um, and then he has I think Sinkevich did it unless I'm crossing my wires. He did Sin City. He did the 300 like Frank to your point Frank Miller's kind of like uh, you know unassailable right but that doesn't stop people from like getting mad that his current output is not any of those great peaks that he hit through right. his career yeah well we went on <laughs> right oh okay I'm sorry I thought there was more I was no, like there's, there's not there's I was not. like there was this is a very dramatic long pause I'm like I'm like is, maybe he's about a burp I'm not if sure I'd, if I'd have held the long pause for like 10 minutes that would have been like uh-huh. amazing I wonder how many podcast listeners would have been like wow this is going to be a serious fucking point after this 10 minute dramatic pause <laughs> and then it's just yeah but it is what it is anyway <laughs> um so okay so I'm done because I ended up combining my drawtober and my kickstarter shit so that was basically my two things for the week did you yeah. have a second or should we move on dude i had a second but given the amount of time that we just spent i think we should just move on to our main topic the, yeah okay. the second one is about my novel it's a thought involving the novel the thought will age quite well and i'll just talk about it next week right on sounds good all right so our main thing for the week is the difference between homaging and plagiarism essentially right is that yeah I yeah i mean right? so so i think it's it's helpful to talk about the, the path that got us here, right? Like it was, I think, first of all, I think Keithan kind of planted the seed, you know, a few weeks back when he talked about it, how he, he doesn't like artists who trace, you know, and, um, and, you know, that's something I think a lot of us think about in one day, whatever creative endeavor we do, you know, like is someone quote unquote, was that Keithan or was that you and I talking to Gary in our group chat? So Keithan was the one who brought it up first, right? Oh, okay. And then, and then what happened was, you know, to kind of give a chronology there, Keithan did it, you know, a few weeks ago. And then, um, you know, I sent you a text, you know, let's go with five days ago because I'm, you know, we're always brainstorming, you know, look, inside baseball, Scott and I are always brainstorming what our main topic can be because we want to make sure that the main topic is something cool and interesting and in the craft aspect of comics. And obviously we've covered the the high points, so now we want to dig into some other stuff, you know? 
So I bounced that off you as a topic idea and you're like, yeah, fuck you. Look, look at you. Look at you working hard on a weekend, you know, whatever it was, right? <laughs> Earning that big payday. Exactly. Exactly. Neither so, of us are getting. <laughs> that's all good. That's all good. We, we make indie yeah. comics, man. It's its own for the, reward. For the love of the game. Yeah, totally. Totally. So, uh, so, so we had that going and then almost like out of the blue, Gary Hodges fires up a group text and we end up just doing, I mean, I, I was more of a bystander because, you know, they're the two artists, but it was re- like some really interesting thoughts on the kind of stuff that, you know, we were going to talk about. So for me, the idea behind this topic was, you know, like, where do you draw the line and, and maybe where is a fair place to draw the line on the difference between inspiration and maybe plagiarism or tracing or whatever people frown upon? Um, that's interesting. So like uh, we can tackle this from a couple of different angles. Like the first one I would say is more of something you, you, I, and Gary were talking about, which is artists who use, uh, models, whether it be for background or for people. And it's like, what are you doing? Okay. So you're creating the, like, this is, it's an interesting one. So I know there are a lot of artists out there that have issue with this, but I know other artists that are perfectly fine with this. So there is a program called SketchUp. I believe it's Google SketchUp. I don't know. I think Google owns it. And it's a very helpful tool. I actually created my character's apartment building in in Google SketchUp. You can create a 3D model. You can put in uh, kitchen appliances, couches, chairs, all of that stuff, TV, etc. Or you can just create it yourself. Like you can draw a square and there's a tool where you can raise that square up to make it a box or a rectangle. It's, it's quite amazing. It's a, a very cool program. A lot of people use it. I know a lot of, I know a couple of famous artists that create all of their backgrounds in Google SketchUp so they don't have to draw that building from all these different angles. All they do is they take the time, countless hours to create these backgrounds. It takes quite a while. Then they move the building around or vehicle or whatever they're doing. They move it around. They place their characters in it. They draw their characters. They maybe take a screen cap and then draw their characters in that background. And then they essentially light box the background, yada, yada. So now you have your character in that background. Right. Me personally, I have zero problems with this because I know how long it took for them to create that 3D image. It's them creating it. So it is it's still from their hand in a certain way. Not only that, like like there are scenes in the second shift where I've drawn that van so many times I can draw it out of my head. But sometimes I need it from a certain angle and it's not as easy. So I actually have a 3D model of that van. So every once in a while. I'll pop in the image. I'm like, okay, well, fuck it. I need to shed, uh, shave some time off of my schedule here. I've proven to everyone that I can draw that van. I drew the van for seven issues without this model. I'm done. I'm done proving to you I know what the fuck I'm doing. Right. Because this is um, this is an element of the story that's not so important. Like, it's something that people gloss over they look at it for a second, they move on. It's a lot of things with backgrounds. Backgrounds are like that. People right. are so focused on the characters, the backgrounds are secondary, tertiary. It's, yeah. it's not important to them, so it's right. something to move on from. So that's one angle you could think about it. Um, and there's purists out there that go, no, every time you got to draw it, it's got to be you know, this, you got to find your vanishing points, you got to do, you got to do that. Okay, well, this comes back to our early part of our conversation. This, this is, we're in a deadline 
you know, process here. Like these books, we got to get them out as soon as we can get them out. So it's, it's fine with me either way. I have no problem with the purists that want to do it that way. That's cool with me. I'm, I'm an easygoing guy though. Like I know, I know how hard it is to create those things in a SketchUp or whatever program you're using. So I'm cool either way. What's your, what's your thought process on something like that? Well, I mean, so this is where I really more approach it as a fan, although I'm sure that if it was the kind of thing where it was a comic I was making, I would at least question the artist, you know, because obviously you send notes off and, and that kind of thing. So I, I have a couple thoughts, first of all, on the SketchUp thing, right? I think mm-hmm. people who would be against Google SketchUp essentially are people who are against technology, which strikes me as profoundly stupid. Because, so there's there's a phrase, I have not said it, you know, we're on episode 51, I think, and somehow I have not said it on this podcast, but one of my little sarcastic phrases is old school like chamber pots. You know, like, so look, people shit in a bucket in 1485, okay? And we have plumbing that has running water now, you know, like that's technology. I think sometimes people take old school a little too far and they do it in a way like this, where it's like, you're really kind of, you're just, you're really saying you hate technology and anything that uses technology is silly. And it's like, well, if, if that's the case, then, you know, do away with running water and take, take a crap in a bucket. Right. That works for everybody. Right. I mean, you clearly hate technology. So hate it all, (laughs) you know, like, so that, I don't know that, that, that particular argument strikes me as silly, especially to your point when you get to something like, you know, unless you were an artist, you know, second time we're mentioning Jeff Darrow here, unless you were an artist who's known for how detailed your backgrounds are, like Jeff Darrow, then, you know, backgrounds are backgrounds, you know, and in a weird way, this gets back to the Leafield thing, right? Leafield in a lot of ways said, you know what, hell with backgrounds. I'm just going to put speed lines here. All you care about is the characters and the dialogue anyway. You know, and like, and, and and people were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that that is sort of all we care about. <laughs> you know, like, like that book did not exactly sell poorly, you know, any, any of the books right. he did. So I think that's my general thought on that. There's people that actually think technology in any kind of way is cheating. Yeah. And it like, uh, I was speaking to a family friend and how I switched from using uh, analog, paper, pencil, pen to uh, my iPad, my iPad Pro at the time. And uh, he goes, isn't that cheating? And I'm like, cheating how? And he goes, well, the program's just doing it. And I'm like, can you do it? And he goes, no. <laughs> then I'm like, okay, so how is it cheating? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Okay. Exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so. again, that's, and that's, and that's sort of the, again, it, it's, it, it's an interesting thing to say at parties. That doesn't mean right. it's, it's it's a correct thing or a smart thing to say, and it comes from it's a definitely area definitely of not knowledge, a smart thing to you know? say. So, right. yeah. but but then I think I think the more interesting question there is where do I draw the line, you know? And and to get back to like Keithan's point, his specific thing he mentioned was when you see someone where you're like, oh, that's Robert Downey Jr. or you know, like, and, and in fact, I just came across a comic today that I was reading as part of my morning reading. And I did not take a photo of it because I don't want people putting it together to like, oh my God, I think he's talking about this. Where like, I I flipped a page and I was like, oh my God, that is this celebrity. I know exactly who that is. And that is clearly, clearly who you used as a reference for this character. So to me, I think that's a bit of a, 
it's it's sort of fun in a way, but it's also sort of a problem because it's telling me that like I'm not sure you're really drawing that. You might have just traced it. But I read the right. comic. I like the comic. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's the kind of thing where it matters or if it's the kind of thing that we just like to complain about. Like, you know, I mean, I'm a Godzilla fan. So Godzilla fans are experts in complaining about something that they spend money on and would spend money on again. <laughs> you know? So anyway. anyway. Right. Uh, that, yeah. That reminds me of uh, the conversation we were having with Gary. Funny enough, we should have just had Gary on this episode. We talked about it so much. But um, he had mentioned... Like using using actors, actresses, uh, you know, like models or whatever to, to help you tell a story. And Gary is very open that he uses uh, friends, family, whoever will pose for him. He'll mm-hmm. stick them in poses and he uses their body positioning. And, uh, you know, he puts his artistic spin on it and change like like he's doing it for aliens. So obviously these people aren't looking like aliens. Yeah. But he's using their positioning, making sure his foreshortening's correct, all of that. Right. But to his point is make sure you're doing a better job at hiding it. Like, don't make it so obvious that you're using models. And, yeah. and that's a great point. You know, it's just like. There's sometimes where you're reading a comic and you can go, yeah, that guy definitely used a model for this. It clearly looks like a still image of someone, someone posing. And so there's there's an ability there that you have to have. If you're going to use models, uh, you have to make sure you're blending it enough into your style yeah. that you don't realize that that's a model. And yeah. like that goes to me using essentially like that van. Like when I do the Toyota van in the second shift, a lot of times you can't even tell I'm using the model. There's... Like, like, I'm very curious if people can tell because I always put my spin on it. It's like, yeah, this is this is the framework of it. But like, I'll freehand some of the lines. I'll freehand, I'll freehand things to give it something that makes it look more, um, you know, like hand drawn. It, it, yeah. it, it goes hand in hand with the rest of my style. Like, it doesn't just look like a traced up image of something. Yeah, and and I mean, I think to that point. You know, I, I'm going to go ahead and answer the thing that we had talked about a little bit. And, and I can't remember what we proposed for the next couple episodes. But remember how we were going to do one version of this that was kind of this for art. And then we were going to do the writing equivalent, which was kind of like observing your influences versus plagiarism. And we're going to go ahead and combine that because they're really the same thing. You know, oh, and, I didn't know we were separating that. I thought it yeah, was the same. It, it is. Well, I, okay. I, th- I think we've since come up with a few more ideas, which will be future episodes. But yeah, I mean, yeah. it. you know, we, we've mentioned this in a different context, which I'm not going to mention again. But, you know, it, it comes back to this idea of if, if you steal from 100 or, or 300 people, you're a genius. If you steal from one person, you're a plagiarist. And in a lot of ways, this ties to what Gary is saying. You know, like if if you are drawing or or Keithan or anybody, if you're drawing somebody and it's like that's Robert Downey Jr., you've made a mistake, right? Like you to me, at least you should figure out a way to 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 turn that into something that's your own as opposed to just having a a character be a complete reference of someone, you know, now that's that's what I think. I mean, you know, there in fact, I've worked with a few artists that I've dismissed off my own projects when it became clear that they were swiping, right? And I think that's the difference. Are you using a reference or are you swiping? Because if you're swiping, that is a big-ass problem. And it's not just a big-ass problem for, like, the creative artistic side. It's a big-ass problem for the legal side because the person who originally drew that may decide 
you just stole their stuff and now you have problems on your hands, you know? So I, I think when it comes to writing, I, I think this is one of those cases where writing doesn't have a perfect analogy with art, but like there's, there's this great book out there. I encourage people who write to, to check it out. It's a pretty cheap ebook. If I remember right, I may have mentioned it before. So I apologize. It's called steal like an artist, very short book. It's the kind of book that you could give somebody for Christmas and it just has fun little page flips where you're like, da 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 And then you flip the page. And then there's something else. And then there's a little bit of text. It's a very, very fast read. And one of the one of the ideas kind of like espoused in Steal Like an Artist is to keep a swipe journal. In other words, whenever you think of something cool, or sorry, whenever you're reading something and it's cool, you write it down. You put that in your little, I'm going to steal from this bin. But then what you don't do is you don't steal from it directly. <laughs> you know, you figure out a way to take that idea that you like and put it into your own words. Maybe it's a three word phrase where you can fit it into some sentence and no one will ever know where the source came, you know, is right. Obviously, the, the longer the chunk of material that you're thinking about stealing, <laughs> the more in trouble you could get if you decided to paraphrase it completely right or not paraphrase it but instead quote it and simply recopy it but the idea is this is what everybody does anybody who writes steals from other writers anybody who draws in general steals from other people who draw yes there is an element of your own creativity to it and i don't want to imply what i don't want to imply by that is that every writer is simply a pastiche of other writers right you have your own style you have your own thing but if you're listening to a book and you hear a cool turn of phrase, write it down. I'm not saying steal it, but keep it in your head. Let it cook. Let it simmer. And then maybe you turn it into something that's your own idea. You know, unpack it, right? It's meant to be kind of like a study point. You put it through your filter. Exactly. You examine it. You 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 have these things in order to learn from them, not, not to steal from them, but yeah. to learn from them. Like, what is it about that element of the story, this particular piece of art, um, what is interesting about that thing that captured your interest? What is it? And that, and that I think is part of the process, what this book is trying to tell you. Exactly. It's like pro- process the shit, put it through your own filter, figure out what it is that made it interesting and then put your spin on it. Yep. You know, do your own thing with it. Exactly. I actually have, uh, an example of, of more or less of what, what we're talking about. So my, going back to my Drawtober project for this year, um, the, the germ of, of this story is actually based off of, uh, Uncanny X-Men 126. And that's something I shared with you when, when yeah. you were, uh, in town a couple weeks back. And, uh, it was one of my first comics. I actually got the X-Men classic. I can't remember what number off the top of my head. It might be 42 or something like that, but, uh, it was the reprint of X-Men 126, the first appearance of Proteus. Proteus is a villain that has some kind of mental powers. And what was cool about that story that captured my imagination was the different drawing styles the artist was implementing with the character. When Proteus was, was messing around with Wolverine and Nightcrawler, the artist was experimenting with different styles. Cubism, realism, uh, some zombie action, all these different things. And when this episode airs, I'll actually release something. Uh, I'll release an image, and it actually goes hand-in-hand hand with this. It, it's, it's a 
image of Wolverine and he shattered like glass, like in on this particular page. Mm-hmm. And I had drawn drawn out a thumbnail and it was very similar to that. And but when it came to that, and that was essentially just a placeholder. I wasn't going to draw basically the same image that that artist had created. I wanted to do um, uh, my own thing. So I will, I'll splice those two images together. I'll put them back to back in my stories or something, or maybe I'll even just put it as a post where you can see the original image and what, and the inspiration that it gave me and the image that I created instead. So uh, there's things like that. You could read, and, and this goes hand in hand with what Keith is just talking about. You're reading something, you like something and inspires you. You put it in your, uh, you, you know, you put it in a folder, you tuck it away in your brain somewhere. And that story has been in my head, in my head since I was a little kid. And I still own that same comic book to this day. I still have it. And so every once in a while, I'll go back and I'll look at it. And I'm like, yeah, this, this thing still holds up. Mm-hmm. I love this book. And uh, so it's, uh, you know, that's, that's the difference. It's like, you, you use it as inspiration, but you don't steal from it. You know, like, what, what, what can you do to make your own story out of this? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Anyway. So, uh, I mean, I think, was there anything else you wanted to cover there? I mean, the, the line, the line is so tricky, right? I I think that's the thing, you know, on one hand, you could have people that are purists that say you got to freehand draw everything from your memory. On the other hand, you know, you're, you're going to have people that use some kind of fusion of technology and shortcuts to get stuff done. There are definitely places I think everyone would sort of agree on, but you know, I don't know, man. And a lot of a lot of places where they don't, because yeah. art is subjective. Art, everyone art is. feels, yeah. everyone feels, hey, this is my line in the sand. This is something I wouldn't cross. Um, when I was younger, I felt that same way too. Like with a lot of lines, I was just like, yeah, I would never do that. I would like uh, 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 Joe Struzan, Joseph Struzan, the guy that does all the Star Wars, all those '80s posters for movies. Indiana Jones, I believe he did as well, right? Mm-hmm. He he has a projector and he will project those images onto his canvas and he essentially traces them uh, because he needs those images to look exactly like the actors. The actors have to sign off on their likenesses. If it doesn't look like them, they're not going to sign off. It's a giant waste of his time, whatever. He, he traces them. He traces the actors faces. So, but then you look at the, you know, you look at the final image and you can go, did he, okay, is this is this a piece of shit because he traced those faces? Or is he an amazing artist because he was able to paint them in a way that it doesn't look like a traced image? Right. Like, you look at his coloring job, you're like, that's that's amazing. Like, it looks like them, but there's all these highlights, these different techniques that he's doing that you can't do with a photo. There's a, a giant difference between a photo image of, of um, you know, Harrison Ford and a drawing of Joe Struzan drawing him right. as Han Solo or uh, Indiana Jones. Right. So, you know, there there's art there. Right. But uh, as a kid, I would just think he was an imposter. Yeah. Um, uh, something you touched on was swiping. So swiping is a thing that's, I don't know, as old as prostitution. Like, when you look yeah. at artists, they're constantly doing it to each other. Like there's, there's uh Facebook groups there. It's just swipe files. Mm-hmm. Like you could find this, like swipe comic images on Facebook. Look for those groups, join those groups. They're very fascinating. Uh, even to the point where Eric Larson is one of them. And he goes, Hey, here's the things I swiped. And like, he puts his images up of his books. And then the, the classic Kirby 
stuff that he was looking at when he when he looked at it and, or when he drew his book and it's like it's interesting to see like there is a certain part of the comics population that hate it absolutely it's like outlawed in their mind don't do this and there's a certain part of the population that accept it and so it's just interesting you right. know art's so subjective it's like it is yeah this it's it's this is the same pose but it's my homage to them. And and so sometimes you can really work that line, but then there's some artists that are habitual line steppers yeah. and they're co- constantly doing it. And I think for me personally, that's where the line is. It's like yeah. when you do it once in a while, it's kind of fun. Yeah. And it's just like, hey, can you guess where I got this image from? So like if you go to Second Shift issue seven, there is one panel that uh, is a swipe from Akira, mm-hmm. uh, the movie. So look for that panel. If you guys have Second Shift 7, find the panel. Let me know which one it is and, and where in Akira I got it from. Rock and roll. Rock and roll. Yeah, I, so what I've been looking up, I've been looking up something on my iPad here. And uh, I remember reading this recently, or maybe not so recently, that like the Mona Lisa is a portrait. So, I mean, isn't that a reference to, you know, like, like yeah. Leonardo da Vinci painted a woman sitting in front of him and that's the Mona Lisa, which, you know, is for whatever reason, it's the gold standard of art, right? So, you know, you hate it or love it, the, the Mona Lisa's on top, to quote the game, right? Or paraphrase the game. So, yeah, I mean, again, it's, I mean, I think all we've really agreed on is that it's a tricky subject and that, mm-hmm. you know, all is fair in love, war, and art in a lot of cases. I mean, I think there are things that we all could agree. We're like, ooh, that's a pretty obvious swipe then that's not a great idea you know wholesale theft not putting your own original spin on it at all or putting such a minimal spin on it that it doesn't matter i think that's that's the part where you're going to kind of say yeah then why'd you even do it in the first place you know um Mm -hmm. most other things as long as you're taking it and making it your own it's kind of fair game there is a very fine line like i absolutely want you guys to use reference use reference do not do not think that it's beneath you to use a reference like don't be so proud that you have to say i have to draw everything out of my head or it's not real art to me okay you more than likely are drawing from a very small pool like your 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 art is from a fishbowl right now you need to get a better a bigger tank so the more the the way you do that is you collect more information more data how do you do that? You use reference, you know, draw a computer. Don't just draw it out of your head. Look at a computer, draw the computer. Do that quite a few times. That's how you get better at things. Draw hands, constantly look at your hands, put your hands in different positions. I still to this day, if I have a character, like a lot of my characters uh, use their hands when they talk because they, they need to emote in the image. It's, you, you can do it with the eyebrows, the eyes and the mouth. Those are the most expressive part of the human face. What else helps? Your hands. People use hands when they talk. So don't be afraid to take pictures of your hands. The more you do this, the more you will understand how hands work, how to draw them at different angles. You won't be so stuck in your mind that when I was a teenager, I would draw hands in three different positions because those were the positions that I saw comic book artists draw and I would copy them. And then those are the ones that I had stamped in my brain. I didn't need to look at them anymore because I looked at them from other artists and I drew them over and over and over again it became ingrained in my mind. Mm-hmm. How do you expand your, your artistic brain? 
you look at an image, you look at your hand in different positions and you constantly draw it over and over. I can draw hands in quite a few positions now without having to reference a photo mm -hmm. because I've done it so often. So don't make your references a crutch. So I want you guys to use reference, but don't let it become a crutch where it's the only thing you do. Every time you draw a panel, it doesn't have to be from a reference, but if it's from a different, different, different or difficult angle that you're not used to drawing, by all means, set your timer on your iPhone or whatever phone you got, flip the camera over, set that timer, put yourself in the body position, get that photo. That way, you'll learn how to draw uh, characters, people from that angle, hands, arms, foreshortening, all of that stuff. Photo reference is very important, but make sure you're doing it in your own style. Don't make it just look like you used a reference. Make sure you're putting that hand with your own personal touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense to me. You got anything comic-wise? Like, now that we're done talking about making comics, what about collecting comics? Everything Ooh. good? Have Have you staved off uh, wanting to buy more things? I have, mainly because I'm satiated. You know, like, I got, you know, what was it? Uh, uh, I think in between, you know, in the last week since we've recorded, I think I did finally get my copy of Sandman 1, which was you know, stuck due to a strange mail routing thing in New Jersey where, where the person who sold it to me lives. Um, it was stuck, but it's it's right over there. I don't know if you I can see, see it. it in camera. Yeah, yep. yeah, there it is. There's, Absolutely. there's your boy, Sandman 1, 8.0 CGC. It looks it looks lovely. And then uh, on a related note, I also got Sandman number 8, which is the first death. So that's... Oh! That's that. That was the one you where I said like, "Hey man, give me a grade on this. What do you think?" And you were like, oh, high okay, nines. Okay. You know, I'm like, it, it's being listed as an eight. In looking at this Sandman behind me, like they both look pretty similar, but even if it's an eight, it's a good deal. You know, like people were paying more on auctions for eights. They were bidding up Sandman number eights beyond the price of this buy it now. You know, and sometimes these buy it now sit at like this perfect price and nobody wants to act on them. And I'm like, screw it. I'll act on it. You know? So absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the one thing um, in terms of comics that I did get is my shipment, my big old shipment from Midtown comics came in. I think oh, I had good. mentioned this on the air, but if not, I mentioned it to you that I, I ended up getting 68 comics through Midtown when they did this huge back issue sale. Trust me. These were very, very cheap individual issues. And uh, yeah, man, I got some nice runs. So I'm probably going to open that. I'm actually I'm actually packing for uh, for St. Louis right now. We're going to do a quick trip. It's at, it's an athletics weekend. Uh, it's going to be a very go there, stay there and go back kind of trip. I don't think I'm even going to have time to go to a single comic shop um, just because of the tight nature of the schedule. But what I do have time to do is pack a whole bunch of comics with me. Uh, to read. So I'm kind of, I'm going to have to go through my comics and make the decision on like the couple stacks of comics I want to bring with me. Cause I can probably read a stack on the way out on the plane and then I can read a stack on the way back and I'll pack that in my carry on or something. So I'm looking nice. forward to that, but yeah, man, it's, it's more about uh, more interested in reading all the stuff that I have right now, as opposed to really going out there and grabbing anything new. How about you? No, I think you did grab something new. Which one? You you try to have me talk you out of it, but I didn't see the text. Fuck yeah, fuck you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I did. Okay, but that's that's in the past as we record this. Yes, yes. There's a, there's a, I mean, so, okay, full full disclosure. Uh, Midtown was doing a, a, a pretty decent sale on, a, what would you call it, like limited edition variant covers. 
Yeah, yeah, like one in twenty-five, yeah, one in fifty. So there's this really cool one in fifty cover. You know, if you're if you're listening right out there and you have easy access to the internet, take a look at the Jack Kirby cover to the new Fantastic Four number thirty-two. It is just this killer total Kirby picture of Doctor Doom holding a gun, and it is sick. It is just perfect Jack Kirby to me, you know? And so I saw that. I'm like, man, that's cool. You know, like, and, uh, and it turns out that the price on Midtown was roughly the same, if not a little bit lower than what current auctions were going for. So, so what I did was I sent you a text, I think on Saturday evening or something. I was like, Hey man, talk me out of this. And then, and then your ass didn't see the text till Monday. Yeah. <laughs> and boy, boy, did I not wait long before I was like, fuck it, I'll just do it. <laughs> and that's, what I, did. that's yeah. what I did. Well, to be fair, I would not have talked you out of it because it was a pretty nice looking cover. I was like, I don't know, man, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. It's very interesting, this Marvel model that they're doing. Like a few years back, they did that with some Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane images. They uh, grabbed stuff like they had Jim Lee. He did a X-Men trading card set. And then they were actually releasing those as covers to comic books. I remember those so, trading cards back in the day. Those are from the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was one image of Venom that Todd McFarlane did. I think it was in the back of an issue. And they re-released that as a limited cover. So uh, it's kind of interesting that they're going through their archives there and repurposing some images as some variant covers. So it's kind yeah. of cool that they did it They did it with Kirby because it was just so long ago. And yeah. uh, that thing looked pretty awesome. It just, it makes me feel, it's kind of like... God, God damn it, Marvel. <laughs> you know, like, like, why'd you have to go there? Why'd you have to dip into the Kirby archives to make some limited covers? You know, like, how dare you? And here's my money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so anyway, <laughs> anyway all good. Uh, I have I have been actually very good since the last episode. I'm so shocked that I have been, though. Um, I was deep down the rabbit hole for quite a while in eBay there. And I was constantly on the hunt every morning. And uh, ever, since the last time we talked, every morning when I get my notifications, I just delete them all. I was like, don't even look. So uh, I've been very good. I haven't bought anything, but I was, I spent so much money. Yeah. I spent so much money yeah. prior to that, that it was like, dude, I've dropped way more money than I should be. Yeah. And the last couple of auctions burned me. And then so that kind of satiated the need to constantly be buying stuff on eBay. Mm-hmm. I've been going the other way, actually. I sold, so I had some Bionic 6 figures. Are you familiar with Bionic 6 by any chance? Man, no, it's like, it's in the corner of my brain somewhere. It's like this old 80s cartoon. It's the first... I don't know. It, it's kind of, it, it's like, okay, it's a, a white family, but they have two adopted sons, uh, a black guy and an Asian, uh, a black kid and an Asian kid. So, and it's just like sports one, the son, he, he plays sports. And then there's the daughter and then mother one, father one, right? She's sister one, Meg. And then uh, karate one, you know, so you, they got all these names, right? And those were the only to- uh, toys from the 80s that I never owned. Like, my family would buy me everything and Mm -hmm. anything I wanted. But for whatever reason, they never bought me Bionic 6. And they were super cool die-cast metal figures. And uh, when I became an adult, I saw them on eBay. And I'm like, I can finally get those figures. So I bought quite a few of them. I have about five or six of them. I never got the whole set of of the family. But I got a lot of the bad guys. And and, uh, I got uh, Meg and and Helen, I believe. So, uh, and sports one, I forgot his name. So 
I threw those on eBay and I've been making some dough on that to kind of make up for my comic book addiction. So uh, that's been helping a lot. It's like, yes. okay, now that I've recouped some of the money that I was spending on eBay and it's making more room in my home office, um, more room to buy more comics. Yes. So maybe maybe next month, maybe next month I'll uh, start looking at eBay a little bit, but uh, I'm kind of liking that I'm not spending every free, free moment on eBay. It's an ebb and flow, you know, and I think for me, the fact that I've spent so much recently on a lot of these comics, number one, you know, again, the Fantastic 449, that was my big birthday gift to myself. And I had sold stuff to basically offset it. The combination of, of birthday money gift, uh, bir- birthday gift money, and and stuff I had sold got me two thirds of the way there, and the rest I'll just pay off in a month when the credit card bill comes due, and uh, and and this other stuff, you know, yeah, I sold stuff and it, it it finances itself in a lot of ways. But that said, I'm cool, you know, like I'll just I'll just turn around and look at the shit that I have, and I'll feel pretty yeah. good about it. Although you mentioning when you just said metal figures, it reminded me of some metal figures that I had way back in the day because I'm older than you. Do you have any reference to the Micronauts? Yeah. Dude, yeah. Do you remember Baron Karza? Like Baron Karza no. was this badass, like metallic figure, all black, like a Darth Vader type thing. And and the cool thing about the Baron Karza figure was it had like your, you know, the the arms could get like ripped off a la magnets, and so could the head, and so could the legs. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, and 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 he had like this black horse, I think, that was also a micronaut. But man, I I remember being totally into the micronauts when I was young. So yeah, that's nice. bringing back some nostalgia for sure. Not not I, I don't want to buy the shit, <laughs> but it's yeah. bringing back some don't, nostalgia. Don't go down that rabbit hole. No, it's too no, much. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. All all my money's for comics anyway. So. Nice. All right, I think that'll conclude it for this episode. We're over an hour here, Keith. Where can they find you online? KeithRFoster.com is my website. I'm going to throw it all together right now. That's got Kadoja stuff, uh, Kadoja web store. It's got some articles. It's got some other things. And then for social media, you can find me at Keith underscore decibel. That is me doing stuff. I tend to post to my stories a lot more on that one. And then there is Kadoja Kaiju, all one word, where I'm knocking out a post every other day, every day, sometimes um, with, with all kinds of stuff, all things Kadoja. And you could find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. You could pick up my books, The Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day, Superheroes at Night, and Wanderers of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs vs. Humans at AccidentalAliens.com. Uh, I have other titles there, Tales from the Mothership, Accidental Aliens Anthology 2018 and 19. Check those out. We got some t-shirt. We got merch. So check that stuff out. Pick up our books. We don't, we're don't. we not on Patreon. Me and Keith uh, want you to support us by listening to this podcast, obviously, and uh, but picking up our books. We create comic books. We create a podcast called Making Comics. We want you to buy those books. You get the books. We get the money. Yeah, and we, make, we continue to make books, right? And uh, hey, I want to thank a couple people out there, although I, I can't, I, I can just thank a couple of you listeners. You know who you are because we have gotten a few five star reviews as we've been talking. Oh, nice. So, yeah, man, that's always nice to see. And uh, and one of the more recent reviews also posted a pretty cool little bit of words with it. So so thank you again. Don't don't be afraid to hop on that bandwagon. Throw us five stars on iTunes. It really helps. It really spreads the word on the podcast. It is like 
the one thing that 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 drives their algorithm in terms of that stuff. I'm not sure how Spotify works because a lot of people listen to us on Spotify as well, but I don't think they really have a rating system there. So, but if they do, like find it and and let us know, and feel free to stream us next to whatever Norwegian black metal album you're listening to this week. We go. We go well with, we pair well with Norwegian black metal. We pair well with jazz. We pair well with anything, because this is this is talking about making comics, man. It pairs well with absolutely everything in the universe. So thank you for the, to those of you who have given us some five-star reviews. And uh, hey, it's never too late if you want to take a minute or two, give us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to your podcast. And if you have given us reviews on Spotify and we don't know it, Email us at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com and say, yeah, man, of course, of course you could do that. This is where you do it. And we would appreciate that. Please, please. And if you're sending that email, I insist that you, you address that email. Hey, you stupid fucks, comma, and then go to the body of your email, right? Like, like, just please make that. That's the accepted format for, for me when we check the makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. So anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you want to leave us a voicemail too, record it on a memo, and then mail it to us. Email it to us at Making Comics Podcast. We'll play it on the air. Please don't forget the "Hey, you stupid fucks" format. Okay, like yeah. that's, that's all I ask. That's all I ask. That's it. Keith's probably queued up the music. I have, queued and that up means music. yeah. So we're out of here. Yay! yay. Wait a minute, though. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't you dare hit okay. stop. Don't you dare hit stop. Okay. The Lakers blew a fucking 26-point lead. Please tell me you want to talk Dude. about that. <laughs> oh, my God. That wait a minute. Wait a minute. Sorry. Sorry. You blew a 26-point lead to arguably the least talented team in the NBA, right? Worst team in the NBA. Where yeah, are you? I don't know, four. man. Detroit's pretty bad without Cade Cunningham. Oh, are they? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, actually, I should I should watch my fucking mouth because the Sixers played him tonight. <laughs> and for all I know, the Sixers just lost. Hold on. Let me just check. <laughs> Let me just check. The, it, it all is fair in basketball right now with the Sixers and the Lakers, man. We can lose to anybody. Woo, we beat them by eight. Okay, I feel better. <laughs> Woo, squeak that bad boy out. That was at home, too. Yeah, man. Anyway. Yeah, so that that game was brutal because the first quarter was the best quarter ever. It was just fun to watch. It's so much to the point where I just started doing other stuff. I was like, man, we got this game in the bag. So I just started doing things around the house. And before I knew it, uh, we were only up by eight. And then we were in a deficit. And then we lost the fucking game. Mm. And that that was infuriating. Because uh, to your point, it's one of the worst teams in the league. It's like they, they don't have... They, they're all young. They're all between 20 and 24, yeah. I think. So it's just like... It's okay. I would say that it is a combination of a couple of things. Okay, the first quarter went so well that I think they took their foot off the gas. That's number one. Number two, it was a second night of a back to back, which are normally scheduled losses yeah. unless you're playing one of the worst teams in the league. Um, and number three, that it goes hand in hand with two here, because it was a second night of back to back. Number three, we're one of the oldest teams in the league, so that's not good for our legs because we're they're not young legs. Young yeah. legs can bounce back better than older people. You had Mello, who's 
an amazing shooter, and he comes up with an air ball a couple of times. He hits the front of the rim a few times. It's because he's older and his legs are dead. Yeah. It's like, Mello, you're an amazing uh, post score. Go down the post, bro. Yeah. Get us some buckets. Yeah. You don't need to only shoot from three. Yeah. You know, like... It, granted, that's that's the lane that the Lakers probably want you in right now. But when LeBron is out and we need a bucket, I think you're one of the guys we need to go to and it needs to be in the post. Last I checked, he's one of the top 15 scorers of all time. So, yeah. yeah right. Or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I think you, you make a good point because, you know, a great example of a team where, where being young on the second night of a back-to-back may not matter as much is the fact that Memphis almost stole a win from the Lakers like a week ago on the second night of a back-to-back. You know, they 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 whomped up on the Clippers, and then they turned right around and played the Lakers the next night, and damn, if they didn't have a great shot at winning that at the end, because, you know, they're young by NBA standards, you know? So, I mean, the great news is we're young by making comic standards, but uh, but we're, we're retired. I am long retired. I'm like, I'm like retired from my post-retirement broadcasting career at my age. If I was in the <laughs> NBA, you know, you'd probably still be in your post-NBA broadcasting career. But yeah, I just wanted to, I just wanted to check the temperature there with you on that. Yeah, man, it's, it's uh, frustrating. The things that I worried about before the season started are rearing their ugly head. We should have gotten Buddy Heald or Lonzo. If we were able to get both, that's what we should have done. But Lakers historically have always been star fuckers, yeah. for lack of a better term. They wanted the name. Westbrook is a name. He's yeah. a superstar. He Splashing. averages triple triple doubles. Yeah. Um, forget the fact that he doesn't fit naturally with AD and LeBron. Yeah. Forget the fact that what we needed was three-point shooting, and Buddy Heald is an amazing three-point shooter. Yep. Not to mention he's young. You know, it's just like we would have gotten the position we needed, the ammunition we needed, and youth for the future. We would have gotten everything we needed, but instead you went with the name. Yep. Okay, well, look. Look what's happening now. Yeah. He's he's He did he averaged a quadruple yesterday. He got 10 turnovers? Did you know that? Did he get 10, 10 turn- turnovers? <laughs> 10 turnovers. <laughs> the rarefied air, man. Yeah, rarefied you drop, air. It was like whenever you drop 18 10 points, 18 points, 12 assists, 12 rebounds, 10 turnovers. Yeah, the quad double, the rare, the super rare quad double. Oh, that's, and we lost by uh, one that's, that three is, or something like that. That is such the so. Russell Westbrook experience. Yeah, trying trying to show out for the old Oklahoma City crowd too. You know, oh, so. God. Yeah, all right, brother. Yeah, all right. It, it'll get better. Better days are ahead, man. Yeah, let's hope so. Uh, my, my only – the only thing that I find solace in right now is that the Nets are – are eating it just as bad as we are. It's like James Harden cannot adapt to the fact that he's not getting these free throw calls. Yeah. Um, and Durant's out on an Island on his own because Kyrie still can't figure out his shit. So it's just like, exactly. Hey, they're, they're having problems too. And we're lifestyle out of his, out of his anti-vaccine stance. Exactly. Exactly. That's how it is. All right, brother. All right, man. Later.